people are sitting, it gives me, it's truly a great honor and pleasure to introduce Rav Shlomo Katz. Uh, number one, our greatest pride as an institution is when we see what our graduates are accomplishing. And this young man is a Talmud of Rav Riskin and Rav Ravinda. That's where Ismich is from, from my Joseph and Gwendolyn Israel's Rabbinical Seminary. So we, so Baruch Hashem. Rav Shlomo, I'm sure you all know, is a world musician. You just have to Google him, and uh, there's no mistake. There is only one Shlomo Katz. But in addition to that, uh, Rav Shlomo has established a magnificent shul in Efrat called Shirat David. Uh, it's, it's probably, I, I would venture to say, maybe the most vibrant shul in Efrat in terms of daily shiurim. But uh, I would also say, and I love my Mora Atran, we love everybody in the city, but I don't know many rabbis who truly epitomize the essence of Simcha and heart. And that's our Rav Shlomo. Wow, David. To take you on the road with me, Mamash. Opening like that. I didn't say can go on. can you just pass these additives? Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm very honored to spend a few minutes with you. And um, David already mentioned, uh, this is, uh, I haven't been here in a few years, even though I live, Efrat's much bigger now, I live on the other side of Efrat. I first want to extend an invitation whenever it's good for you. We have something very, very, very magical happening. We have a, I'm blessed to lead a very, very strong, powerful community called Shirat David in Efrat. We're about 175 families, and it's growing, Boch Hashem, it's growing. We finished our building about a year and a half ago. Um, the davening, the experience, the learning uh, is fire. It's very much, I would say, as a kehila, as a community, we took what we got from, from Chutz Laaretz, when we were, most of us, living in the States, and the function of a, beit, of a shul in Chutz Laaretz, outside of Israel, is not the same how it is here. Usually, it's just mainly, you know, more or less the place I go for a minion, or mainly on Shabbat, but uh, we're... We're learning Baruch Hashem all day, uh, women and men. There's a kolel we established this about four months ago. We have six new young couples that moved into the community, and there's a lot of excitement and a lot of meaning, a lot of a lot of joy, and thankfulness, and gratitude. But the truth be told, uh, I moved. It was here. I got I got very emotional. And I was driving up on this road, and then I remembered a story that connects to the exact thing that I wanted to speak about today, especially knowing where you just came from. Approximately 20 years ago, I was living in, I was single, I lived in one of these, I don't know, the caravans are still here? Yeah, yeah I was living in one of these caravans. <laughs> Same caravans. Shema, I was a chavaya, I was a kid coming from Beverly Hills, I, was, I, I came and sat, and I lived in a caravan. <laughs> Same leaks. My father... Ruch Hashem, Avshalom Katz was a, 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 a chazan of a, of a shul in... And a teacher in Bicultural Day School. Correct. We just mentioned it right now, and a teacher in Bicultural. He taught you. Oh, what a joy. He had his accordion? Yeah. It was... A, it was you too. Huh? He's still... He was probably younger than, than, than me. Yeah, of course he was. Sure. You were younger than too. My father, yeah, I came from Beth Jacob community. My father was the chazan in Beth Jacob in, in Los Angeles. And then I knew that if I really wanted to 
feel that I'm going anywhere in life. I was already very much excited about, about learning, about Ruach, but um, I didn't really know what to do at that moment. I was 21, and I found this campus. I found this, I found Ortorah, I found Yeshivat HaMiftar. That was the name of the Yeshiva back then over here. We had Rabbi Riskins on Wednesday nights for a Parsha Shir and Thursday mornings for a one-on-one conversation with Rabbi Riskin um, in the building right next door in terms of uh, guidance for, for spiritual leadership. It was very, uh, I don't think we realized what a bracha we really, really had. But I developed Ruch Hashem, maybe because I'm a Kohen, my name is Shlomo, maybe, that's what, maybe that was the, uh, the extra kesher of Mori uh, Rabbi Marad Ha'atra, Rav Riskin, Shlita. And I went through, like many people do in those times, an, an almost wedding, didn't happen, didn't leave my caravan for about three days, total crisis. Rabbi Riskin heard that I was, you know, tzabrachen. He called me on a Wednesday afternoon and he said to me, Shlomo, can you drive me home after Shia tonight? So I knew two things. One, that he knew I was suffering, and two, that I had to go to Shia also. <laughs> so I went to Shia. And then Rabbi Riskin, now he had, Rabbi Riskin had a driver that was with him. I forgot his name. It was some, not David, it was some, he was with him everywhere. I mean, ever, ever, everywhere, everywhere he went, all day long. So I drove Rabbi Riskin home and he shared with me the following story, which is what I want to share, uh, really want to, want to share with you. And I, I see that it really connects very well to one nikuda, one main point that I wanted, to, I wanted to share with you and give over. He said to me that in, in the 70s, uh, he was invited once to a, to a synagogue in, I won't say where, it was somewhere in Europe. And it was the most bizarre experience he had because he got to shul and he had no idea. He saw a bunch of people walking around with talesim, holding sidurim, but he couldn't tell if davening had started or not. And this was like for a long time during the day. And then suddenly someone said, uh, he realized davening had started a while ago, but no one was davening. Then they read the Torah. Rabbi Riskin was the scholar in residence. He had to go up and speak. So I think he said that for a few minutes while he was speaking, saying something, a few chavras stayed inside and listened to him, and the rest stayed in the corridor and, and, or outside the shul, and they didn't continue with them. They kept on schmoozing. But the whole thing, the whole time, I have a talus and everything. Back to Musaf, the same thing happened, that no one was davening, but they were there. Maybe there was a shliach tzibur mumbling something, but no one, was really, no one was really davening. So he was invited to the president's house for lunch that Shabbat. The president of the Shul, I don't know if this happens in, in, <laughs> in places Europe. I don't think it's like this anymore, Be'ezrat Hashem. But he was invited to the president of the Shul's house for lunch, and he took him aside. He said, I'm a little, I'm just a little confused. There wasn't, no one, I mean, no one was really davening. I don't, under, I, didn't, I don't understand what's going on over here. Rabbi Riskin said the president told him, he says, you see all those people walking around in Talesim, you could imagine what, what country I'm speaking about. He said, everyone in this room, if they're on their second marriage, everyone in this room lost their first marriage and any child that they had 30 years prior. They can't talk to God but they can't not come to shul. They can't talk to God, but they can't not come to shul. So I, it struck me very deep. 
but I was trying to figure out why he's telling me that story. Like, I mean, that's a deep story for any drasha, any Shabbos, whenever, whenever you want to give that over, but why are you telling me that story? He said to me, Shlomo, no matter what is happening, no matter what you're going through, never stop talking to God, especially when you don't feel like it. That's what he said. Just keep the conversation going, no matter, no matter what. Keep on talking to God. Keep on speaking to Hashem. I sat with him in his house for a while afterwards that night. One of many, many experiences I've had with Rabbi Riskin over the years, who was privileged to put the mezuzah up in our shul last year. It was at the groundbreaking as well. We were the 45th shul at the time to, uh, to come up in Efrat. I think since then now there's another, I think there's another 12 since then with the new Tamar and Dagan hilltops that are here. But that conversation has never, ever left me. And it's also the hardest conversation that I, that I, that I still have because, let's face it, you all saw Gates on Mavis today. You saw it firsthand. As a country, we're all in a situation where it seems nearly impossible to talk to Hashem. And I'm not talking about a sitter. A sitter is easy. Tehillim is easy. Now, easy, you know what I mean by easy. What do I have to take, what do I have to bring out from me in order to say Tehillim? I just have to know Hebrew. To do Shachris Men Chamarev, that, that's easy. I, mean, I, I could just do that, and we're still doing that, v'chule, v'chule, and, and whatnot. But to talk to Hashem, to talk to God in the face of what's happened, in your own language, lo pashut. It's not simple at all. Now, we're in a paradigm shift right now. I, I believe this very strongly, where there's a lot of changes. There's a lot of awakenings. There's a lot of transformations. Our shul... Our shul has a sign when you walk into the shul. It says on it, our shul is very much into a lot of talking. Please talk as much as you can. But please make sure that you're only talking to God. But, we, but a lot of talking. You know, there's a lot of shul that say, no talking in shul. Okay, so what, you know? No, 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 no. Talk, talk a lot. Pour it out, but there's only one criteria. Nochach pnei Hashem that it's got to be in the presence, that you're actually standing in the presence of Hashem. How do we stand in the presence of Hashem when we've witnessed in our times such atrocities? It's, uh, it's something that we haven't even begun to really, really decipher and, and figure out. But the world of Torah that always spoke to me the most was the world of the Hasidic masters, always. And specifically, this few figures that I wanted to mention today that they were the ones that told us how to get through times like we're in right now. And I find it to be what we call a galgal hatsala, literally a life jacket, like a safety boat, a safe haven. And that is, of course, like you see in the source number one in front of you, is the great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh. The great-grandson of the Baal Shem Tov has become one of the largest figures of our time, and that's Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. Rabbi Nachman of Breslov was the Baal Shem Tov's great-grandson. He was born in 1772 in Mejibush, in the house of his great-grandfather, the Baal Shem Tov. And he passed away at the age of 38 to tuberculosis, because of tuberculosis, in 1810. Rabbi Nachman died at 38, suffered tremendously, buried his first wife and most of his children in his lifetime, going, having gone through mamash, also his own shtickle, Gates al right? 
And yet Rabbi Nachman was one that gave certain etzot, gave certain pieces of advice, that when you look at the young, vibrant world today, those, the, the generation that finds fire and excitement, even if it's painful, Rabbi Nachman is a household name now in every Beit Midrash, kimat all over the place. I'm not only speaking about the pilgrimage to, that, that goes to his gravesite in Uman, I'm not even getting into that right now. Just some basic Rabbi Nachman, bless you, some basic Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. I, I remember some wonderful shiurim that Rav Bravender used to give us in, in, uh, in Likutei Maran, Rabbi Nachman's magnum opus. But one of the things Rabbi Nachman gave as an Eitzah, people don't realize how vital it is, and I believe that the following statement is very, very true. His top student, the one that wrote down all of his writings, was a student named Rabbi Natan of Breslov, Rabbi Natan of Nemerov. His last name was actually Sternhartz, Rabbi Nassan of Sternhartz. Rabbi Nachman said, if it wasn't for my Rabbi Nassan, none of you would know anything about me because he was the scribe. He wrote every single word. And Rabbi Nassan wrote one time the following thing. He said, there's going to come a time that Orthodox Jews are going to hear of a phenomenon that there was once upon a time Orthodox Jews who thought that they were Yotze being Orthodox without doing hit bodedut which is what we're going to be speaking about right now. Hitbodedut, having your own conversation with Hashem in your mama loshan. It doesn't matter what language it is. This is Rabbi Nachman's words. Meaning that we're going to reach an era, and I believe that we're entering into it right now, that it's crystal clear that in order to still, to, to still be in a relationship with God that our children will actually admire and want to continue and take pride in, you have to be able to go beyond the Sidur, not instead of the Sidur, benosaf to the Sidur, in addition to the Sidur. It's not enough anymore, just Shachris, Mincha, and Marv. It's not enough just saying to Hidim, I have to come to the Ribbono Olam, I have to meet him in my own Dalit Amot. Rabbi Nachman would advise to do this in a secluded place. And I have to start having conversations with Hashem as part of my religious experience. So Rabbi Nassim said, there's going to be people, it's going to be a vadai. It's going to be the way of Yiddishkeit in the Messianic era, but even before that. And people are going to hear about a time where people thought, felt that they could actually get by and give over Judaism, not just or any form of Dvar Hashem, without this one-on-one relationship with God. We've done okay for 2,000 years of exile, but now is a new era. It's very clear. In fact, the greatest right, the people that are most mashpia in the world today, for many years, I just mentioned, the times where my Bravo and Rabbi maybe weren't so happy with me because I started, some of, I have some nigunim, some songs, and I didn't plan it. I came here to just learn for smicha, but it happened, ashga, whatever you want to call it. The radio got hold of a few of the songs that I had recorded when I was still in L.A. and then here. And then things got really wild for those first few years when I was living here. And I was here, and I, I was very involved in the music scene, and I traveled, Baruch Hashem. I, I was zolcha to see the world, to travel the whole world, and sing many of my nigunim. And, uh, but different life now, Baruch Hashem, with, with the community. I still travel, but not as much. But I got in touch, and I have a lot of close relationships with a lot of the big names today that are in the music scene. And you see that what Rav Cook spoke about many years ago is happening today. 
Today, God is found in the culture. It's found in safrut, in literature. It's found in tarbut. It's found in music. You have people like Yishai Rebo, who you're all very familiar with by now. What are his songs, if not hitbodedut sessions that are being shared with everyone? It's not Tehillim. He's not singing Nigunim with Psukim. It sounds a little bit like it. When you pay attention, you realize this brilliant genius that Hashem knew exactly what door needed is sent down now to show us you got to pour it all out and it's got to be in your own language. And it's his songs that are having a greater effect on the Klal more than just stuff that are the best Nigunim in songs, but there's still Psukim. It's self-expression. You have many people like this right now in the Israeli scene. Another one is Hanan Ben-Ari. These are very, very close friends of mine. I receive a lot of inspiration from them, and I, I, they're younger than me by like 10 years, this Hevra, but we're very, very close to each other, and we're seeing what's working. What are people needing? People need to feel, not only that it's okay to express themselves in their own words to Hashem, but that's actually what Hashem is really interested in hearing. And Rabbi Nachman said, this is something, he told his Hasidim to do this every day for an hour. I don't mention that usually till way later in a class I give. I start off with nice 10-minute intervals. If we could start with like a 10-minute session, that'd be very good. For what? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of doing hitbodedut? Hitbodedut comes from the word badad, alone. Not loneliness, but realizing that you need time to be alone from everything else, from everyone else, from Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, social, every social, to be away to discover something. If you look at source number one, bodedut. this is a quote from Rabbi Nachman's Likutei Mo'aran. Bodedut, Rabbi Nachman's way was, beze, he made sure, liot ragil bodedut. he used to tell us, if you want to understand any of my teachings, if you want to understand anything that I'm received from my great-grandfather, the Baal Shem Tov, if you want to be plugged in to the Besora, I don't know how to say that word in English. How do you say Besora? Tidings? Good tidings? If you want to be plugged into what this new light of Hasidus is, you have to be ragil me'od bit bodedut. You have to be very, very... Uh, consistent with doing hitbodedut, and the next phrase explains why. Lefaresh sichato lifnei Hashem mitbarach bechol yom. Lefaresh sichato. To give a perush to your sicha, to your dialogue. To which dialogue? To the inner dialogue, to the chatterbox that doesn't stop for one second. And this is what I wanted to discuss. What the, the time that we're living in is that we're not just knowing about atrocities, but because of the visuals and sounds and screams that we've heard and that you've seen with your own eyes, there's a lot going on inside that we think we understand, we think we've, we've, we've uh, digested, we think we've analyzed, we think we've processed. Many of us go for years with having a bunch of emotions happening and taking place inside of us, without ever understanding what it is we're really feeling. We could say pain, sadness. Rabbi Nachman says, that session you have with Hashem is your free session to say whatever you want. It's not a conversation. We don't, Rabbi Nachman's not saying you're going to hear something back from God. 
It's not what it's about. It's a one-way conversation. But it's the platform for us to actually be in touch with our emotions and feelings and understand the inner sicha, the inner dialogue, the inner chatterbox that's taking place, mimela, all the time. In today's day and age, we can't afford to ignore the need for that. We know there's a lot going on. We know the numbers. We know every day we're noticing more and more, more and more data, more and more data. But all the knowledge that we have doesn't do anything to us unless we figured out a way to bring it outside from the heart for us to understand it. I've had some of the most grueling Heed Bodhidud sessions and I've had some of the most freeing Heed Bodhidud sessions in my life. I'll be honest, for the last week or so, things have been so hectic within the community, but maybe that's just an excuse. Some of the stuff, some of the footage that came out, I haven't been able to, I have not been able to speak about it. I haven't. I'm too nervous about what would happen if I actually started to give a perush to the sicha, to give a perush to the inner dialogue. I am. I'm very aware of it. And many people understand the need that right now they need professional treatment and help and they should not be embarrassed about it. That still doesn't pater you, that still doesn't exempt you from going inside your heart and trying to understand to yourself what do I make from all this? Rabbi Nachman says it's that special box, that special place. Yitbodedut is a must if I want to be a Jew that is really, really not just learned and not just a Baal Mamin, someone that's alive, that feels alive with what's going on around us. And he says, Bechol yom vayom. He continues here and he says, Ve'amar she'afilu klal. Even when you can't say anything. Even if you're only able to get one word of emet, emet of what you're feeling out of your mouth, you know what Rabbi Nachman's referring to? It's coming to Yitbodedut session and saying, how do you expect me to understand that you're a kel melech rachaman? And how do you expect me to give that over to my children in today's day and age? Because that's an underlying question that every, every person should have, especially the greatest ma'amin, the one that believes in everything. That whole, the whole notion of gamzu tova, everything's for the good, kishem shemevarecha tova, kach tzarich levarecha ra'a, just like a person, the Gemara says, blesses over good things, they have to bless over bad things, try giving that over to the next generation, they won't buy it. Ain't gonna work. It's not gonna work. I see it with my own community. I see it with the kid in me. It's not going to work. There has to be a place. It's not, God forbid, doubting. But even saying, I'm doubting everything, and saying that in Yitbodedut is the safe place to say that. You can't say that when you're davening. When you're davening, you have to keep on acknowledging all the midot of Hashem and saying, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. And in Yitbodedut, you say, and Ribbon if it's you that's at everything, you also created tons of more orphans and widows and I don't want to say the rest of the things because you already had enough of it today. Rabbi Nachman says if we don't give ourselves the space to bring that up, who are we kidding? God's not interested in robots at all. This is the era that we're in right now. This is the era that we're in in that we, we, we realize in order to really do something with all the information that we know, we have to go to the next level. I have a lot of knowledge, 
But what is, how does the Pasuk continue? Ve'yadata hayom vota el levavecha. We got stuck here. We got stuck in the head. We got stuck in the intellect. We got stuck in the etzadat. And the etzadat, the tree of knowledge, is either tov or ra. One of the ways that we could bring the dat into the etzachayim, the tree of life, into the heart, is by experiencing all the dat that I know. How do I experience the dat that I know? One of the tools, not all the tools, one of the tools is hitbodedut. Our kila here in Efrat really started mourning a while ago, not on October 7th. We started mourning on Pesach, and I'll explain why. I had a yeshiva mate here in yeshiva. We learned here for smicha together. His name, Rabbi Leo D. You've heard of Rabbi Leo D? Rabbi Leo D is now my neighbor. You'll hear him tomorrow. I want to share with you one of the emotions, one of the impressions, what happened to us at, I don't remember if it's the first or second funeral, I don't remember right now. But Rabbi Leo D got up at his, I think it was his own two daughters, right? They, Nebuch, was first the two daughters, and then a few days later, his wife Lucy, Alea Shalom. He got up at the, the funeral and he said, I want to, first of all, I encourage, I don't know if you've seen it, but everyone should, should watch that husband. There's a limud there, there's a learning there about what it means, that eulogy, what it means to be a Jew that's vibrant, that's engaged in an intimate way with Hashem at that funeral. He said the following thing, and he quoted Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg there. He quoted Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg by saying that emunah means not to focus on what I don't have, but means to focus on what I have, simply. He said, I could either look right now and say, I don't have two children, or I can, he has three other children, or I could say, I have three children. My Bechira of Emuna is being able to focus on what I have and not at what I don't have. And we're sitting there thinking, I'll tell you what I thought. I thought he was just so medicated. I'm, I'll be honest. I thought he, they put him on so much meds. I remember I was sitting, I'm a coin. I was sitting with Rabbi Brander and Rabbi Riskin in the Kohen booth in the in the in Kfar Tzion, in the cemetery there, and I was wondering. I was like, "There's no. It, it can't be that this is someone that it just can't be." And then he said, "You're probably wondering how I could say such words." I'm like, "Thank you. Yes, very very much." And he said, "I'll tell you. I learn Emuna every single day." It's just not, you can't come to this way of thinking and living when it's just you're pushed into the corner and then you have to make a decision. I'm going to believe it or not. Emunah comes from the word imunim. Imunim means exercises. Lehit amen means training. Emunah is something that needs to be spoken about all the time, nonstop. Life gives you blows. Life gives you simchas. Rabbi Nachman believed that one of the key fundamental principles of establishing emunah in the heart is hitbodedut, is constantly speaking about what's going on inside of me before HaKadosh Baruch Hu. David HaMelech says in Tehilim, and we say this in Hallel, He'emanti ki adaber. What gives me emunah? Talking about emunah. Talking about that which is happening beneath the surface. And Rabbi Nachman likens this also to what's called Hidgalut HaNefesh, as you'll see in the next source. 
לדיבור יש לו כוח גדול. Speech has tremendous power לעורר את האדם, to awaken the person. אף על פי שנדמה לאדם שאין לו לב. Even if a person says, listen, I'm not into this stuff, I'm heartless. This is not my thing. This is not my juice. Is not, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. It's not for me, right? Even if a person feels like this, I have no heart. What am I, what am I going to start talking to God about? אף על פי כן כשידבר הרבה דברי התעוררות ותחינות ובקשות וכיוצא, Nonetheless, when he begins to speak words that are coming from a real place, and he just starts talking about it. And many of my friends said, I don't believe in Yitbodedut. And I always tell them, great, you have some great talking material to begin your session with. Tell God that you don't believe in Yitbodedut. Tell God you don't believe in Him. That's just a trick, obviously, right? Tell God you don't even believe in Him. Tell God everything, but at least tell, speak. Rabbi Nachman believes when you open up that When that flicker, when you just light that little flame, the, the fire that can come out of there is beyond. Zel, second line, Zel be'atzmo shemedaber, when a person's able to speak, hu bechinat hit galut hit orerut libo venafsho la'ashem idbarach. This is an aspect of revealing an awakening of his own art and soul to Hashem. which is like we say in Shia Shirim, בבחינת נפשי יצאה בדברו. My soul came out when I speak to Hashem. It's a crazy thing, but many people are under the assumption that they know themselves for a certain reason, just because they've been living with themselves. But it's, a, it's an illusion. I know that statement sounds pretty weird, right? Many people are under the assumption that they actually know themselves just because they've been living with themselves. Do you know how many people walk around doing good things? I'm not talking about bad people. Good things. Giving shiurim. Being the heads of amazing committees and functions and institutions. But they never had a moment that their own soul was revealed to them. What a waste of a Gilgul. What a, waste of, what, a, what a waste of time. What a chaval that Hashem gave you life in the form of a soul and a body, and, we spe- and you could spend your whole life never even knowing, be'emet, who you are, what you're made of. Shirashirim, Shlom HaMelech says, Nafshi yatsa bedabro, my soul came out when I started to speak. Because there's something about speech that when I actually use what I need in order to form words, And letters that express an emotion, there's a revelation that comes out. And you discover who you are, what you want, why you want what you want. It's all in there. It's all in that session. Vilefamim, next line. Vilefamim alide sheidaber harbe. Afal pi sheye belo live klal. And even if you just start talking, even if the heart's not there, you're not yet in the heart place, it's still head place, information giving over. אף על פי כן יבוא אחר כך על ידי זה להתעוררות גדול בלב ונפש. Nonetheless, a person will then eventually come to a great awakening of heart and soul. והכלל כי הדיבור בעצמו יש לו כוח גדול. רבי ריסקין told me, don't stop talking. Why? Because speech itself has a great, great power. Speech can ruin relationships, it can ruin lives. But it's real speech before the master of the world actually has the power to reveal to yourself who you are and what you're about. It goes way beyond knowledge. Do any of you have an iPhone on you? By any chance? 
Do you have, can you um, show us the back of the, of the iPhone? Or you have a cover on it. Can you take the cover off for one sec without causing too much tzaras? I haven't done it here. You haven't done it yet. I don't want to break a phone right now. I'm just, okay, everyone take a look at that. The instrument that has changed the whole world. What's that? What are we looking at over there? Sorry? An apple missing a bite. Sounds familiar? To anybody? What's that? Tree of knowledge. Do you realize that that logo has changed the whole world? Well, you think it's Stam? That that logo has been the one that actually is leading the way of changing the whole world? It's not an apple. It's an apple with a bite in it. The Jobs thing. I don't know. I, I've thought about this a lot if Jobs actually knew. You know, the whole tire behind the, 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 the bite. I don't know exactly. But what I do know is one thing. For sure, that, that, <laughs> that, that definitely no. He's Hashem's pawn, just like all of us are. He's Hashem's pawn as well. I know that we're living in an era that we're under the assumption that the more intake of information, the smarter and better we are, and it's not true. Only if I use the intake of information to bring it into my heart do I go out of that logo of the tree of life, tree of knowledge, and go into the tree of life. We have so much data. What are we doing with it? it ha- the Siddur is not enough for me to understand what to do with it. Nor is 12 hours a day of learning Gemara. Or 13 hours a day learning philosophy. It won't work for the next generation. It won't work. What will work is developing an intimate relationship with God and your children seeing that and being excited about it. People come to me, Baruch Hashem, all the time, as I'm sure the Rav you could say, and many of you could always say, you know, people coming all the time, tips for Chinuch, I need advice, how, chinuch, how do I get my kids into this? How do I get my kid to want to keep Shabbos? Well, what does your Shabbos look like? What are you offering? What does your Shabbos look like? Let me ask you a question. Does your kid see you smile when you're saying Shalom Aleichem? I don't know, I never thought of it. What does it matter? I'm like, trust me. Pay attention to what you look like when you're saying Shalom Aleichem. Those are easy things that we could start to understand when we think of it in terms like that. My relationship with the ritual must be intimate. The way it gets intimate for real and not for play is developing an intimate relationship of conversation between me and the master of the world. There is no other way. And you know who knew this also? Someone that we're learning, thank God, we're, it's very, his light is very strong in our Beit Midrash for, from the beginning, but it's only, it's only getting brighter and brighter. It's someone that died in 1935, but someone that changed the whole world, and that's, of course, another great Kohen, Rav Avram Yitzchak, a Kohen Cook. You know, Rav Cook is so interesting because no one understands what he says. It's like, you know it's the deepest, but you have no idea what he's saying, right? Anyone ever come across that? It's like, I know, wow, these words, I'm not even saying, like, not only because it's hard, you think Israelis know what he, what, what he, what he means? No one knows what he means. And then you get it translated, and you're like, oh, you know, like that. It doesn't really go anywhere. You have to cry over Rav Cook. There, there, there's no other way. You've got to get into his personality. And what's amazing is that only over the last 20 years, you know, Rav Cook died in 1935. Rav Cook died 90 years ago. But Rav Cook, really, the, getting a taste of what his inner struggles and battles were, were actually concealed from the public until about 20 years ago, 20, 25 years ago, where there are a bunch of manuscripts that were finally released 
where Rav Kook is giving over his personal struggle in this world. To me, my, my entry into trying, and I, I grew up in, in high school in a, in a Bnei Akiva Yeshiva, they taught me Rav Kook like they're, like they're teaching Tree of Knowledge. I hate to say it, that's what it was. I had to figure out who could teach me Tree of Life, and Baruch Hashem, I have a, a teacher that has taught me for many years now, Rabbi Moshe Weinberger from Eish Kodesh in Woodmere, that has taught me literally Rav Kook, the, the life of Rav Kook, the, the Pneumius of Rav Kook. So Rav Kook, now we know a little bit more inside what, what went on with him. And Rav Kook suffered tremendously, tremendously. You see, I'll tell you another thing. My first day of yeshiva here was Gimel Elul 2002. How do I remember that? Gimel Elul is Rav Kook's yard site. So we had a very special Rav that was teaching in the yeshiva then. A very short, short rabbi. Hasidic oriented. Rav Natan Siegel. He passed away about know, seven, eight years ago. A very, very sweet man. Very beloved teacher and a dear friend. And he taught here too. And he got up the, my first day in yeshiva, I thought like the whole, after I got so excited, I thought the whole yeshiva is going to be like this, because he got up and he said, you know what we don't, you know what we do with eclectic minds? We do nothing with them because we don't know what to do with eclectic minds. So we box them into some category as like, okay, Kool-Aid guys, and then we stick with stuff that we don't have to really deal with too much. And he said, Rav Cook was exactly that. Rav Cook was such an eclectic mind. Rav Cook was the first Rav to really, really speak about the need to love the non-Jewish world. How one of the essential things of, of, of Judaism is figuring out my love for what the world calls, you know, the, what we say goyim. But in Hasidic liturgy, goyim is the Rashi Tevas of Gadol Hashem Umehulal Me'od. Exile will do that to you. We had a lot of reasons to just say goyim. It's, you could either say goyim or goyim, right? Two different worlds, right? Goyim. So Rav Kook is such a big mind, and Rav Kook tells us that he had some tremendous inner battles as well, trying to understand his relationship also with Hashem when he looked at the matzav of Am Yisrael and Yehudim. You see, the first piece of what we did here is basically, how do I get to know myself? Through But what I want to do with the few minutes that we have is how do I get to know Nishmat Am Yisrael? Because right now, we are getting to know Nishmat Am Yisrael in the most horrific way. But we're getting to the soul of Am Yisrael. As you all could attest to, there has never been more achdut within the Am. Forget the leadership, the so-called leadership. There's no, I'm not speaking about leadership here. I'm talking about the Am, the Chayalim, the Am, the hospitals, the Shiva houses. The Mifunim, how do you say Mifunim? Those were... Evacuated from their homes, both in the north and the south, hundreds of thousands of people were meeting Am Yisrael. Am Yisrael's meeting each other, meeting each other. I had a few unfortunate privileges to go up and be in certain bases and hospitals, in shiva homes and funerals, like many of us here. The, the people are meeting each other again. Rav Cook was determined to meet the soul of the people, not only in a time of tsara, but to look at it deeper. He needed to look at it deeper. He needed to be intimate with the soul of Am Yisrael. In source number four, Rav Kook says from the Shmona Kvatsim, Shmona Kvatsim is manuscripts that came out only in the last 20, 30 years, revealing to us a little bit more what Rav Kook was going on, what was happening inside Rav Kook. 
Rav Kook says like this, Kama ani tzarich la'amol ve'la'amol u'levarer pnimiyut hashkafati. Let's go very slowly. Again, this is Rav Kook. How much do I have to toil and toil and levarer to clarify the pnimius of my hashkafa, hashkafa, the word that everyone uses, right? The pnimius of my hashkafa, how I look, hashkafa means lahashkif, how I look at what? Al hatochen hamauti yisraelit. I have to work so hard. I have to go deeper and deeper every time I look at the actual inner content of the, of the yid. Ishiyut Israeli, it doesn't mean the modern Israeli. It means, how do I look at, an, at a Yid, at a Jew? I have, to, I have to work on this over and over again because he was dealing with the whole generation of Rabbanim that wrote off anyone that looked different. And he's saying, that can't be why I'm in the world. Ech she'be'emet einan ne'erechet lefi ma'asea. On an action level, what you see is not what's really there. It can't be, Rav Kook says. Lefim ma'aseh, in accordance to what I see, the actions, remember Rav Kook is living in a time when the young, excited Jew found his passion in communism and socialism, all the isms in the world besides Judaism. They were finding in Zionism, the Zionist movement that wasn't connected to the Torah of Eretz Yisrael. Just Zionism as an ism, the shame Zionism. Rav Kook says it can't be Ech she'be'emet eina ne'erechet lefima aseh. It's not really, really lefima aseh. What you see on the outside is not really the pnimiyut of, of, of how we're supposed to be looking at Yirim. Lefia tzad ha'megule in according to the revealing manner shel orchot chayah. It looks like they don't care. It looks like they gave up on Hashem. It looks like they don't really have any interest in anything. You know the most incredible thing that I'm sure you're seeing? When I go to bases, when I go to outposts of, of army today, I have no idea who comes from, from whom or who doesn't anymore. As you all know, they're all wearing tzitzis. Everyone's putting on tefillin. The requests we have in our shul, people tying tzitzis almost daily, they don't stop. They don't stop. Thousands of pairs of tefillin were raised to be sent out. Yarmulkes, what not? One of my most favorite pictures I've posted in the last few months was actually last night. A chayal covered in so many, so many tattoos with the most beautiful, wearing madim and the most beautiful tzitzis and a kippah and tefillin and looking up saying shema like I wish one day I could look up and say shema with such bitachon. This is what's being revealed to us right now because the outside, the inside has been shechted open. But Rav Kook says the ideal is to get to that place without all the tzarot. That's the world we have to leash off to, that we have to aspire towards. But rather, ki'im lefi otaha pnimiyut ha'amitza. Really? It takes a lot of courage, inner courage, pnimiyut amitza. It takes a tremendous amount of inner courage to be able to believe that if I keep on looking at the heart of a Jew, I will find that which I'm looking for. I will find me. We will find each other. We will see that we want the same things in the inside of the inside. 
Shehin Nachalat Yaakov. This is the portion of Jacob. This is, this is our Yerusha. And what do we all want? Shehu Tochen Kadosh Benizgav. Ha'am Rotze Kedusha. They do. It's coming out in a lot of different ways. It's because in Yiddishkeit, we're still giving over to them a lot of tree of knowledge, Yiddishkeit. This is a generation that wants a tree of life, Yiddishkeit. And if you could detect that in you, and you could detect that in them, you'll see we all want the same thing. We want Kedusha, real Kedusha. Not Kedusha that tells us that if we dress in a certain way, we're not holy. Not Kedusha that tells us if my kashrus is a little bit different than yours, then there's a machloket between us. That's all tree of knowledge stuff. It's not tree of life. And this, he says, when you have that, ha-menatzeach et kol ma shehu menagedoto. This wins over anything that on the outside comes into friction with. Rav Cook's eyes. If I could have one pair of eyes through which to look at the world, it, it, it would be his. The more that I'm sitting and cracking my heart over small pieces of Rav Kook, and Rav Kook saying, I had to work on this day and night. I had to toil and toil and toil and work and levarer and sift through all these things till I myself realize this is the type of eyes that I want and this is what I'm going to find when I look into the heart. This is what I'm going to see. This is what I'm going to see. This is what we're seeing now. This is what we are seeing, what our generation is seeing right now. You see, this is, is interesting. This is, people are saying, this is, we need, like for, for, for years, people have been saying, what's going to be our 1967 moment of this generation? That's what I've heard a lot over the last few years. What's going to be our 1967 moment? We haven't had a 1967 moment. You know what that means, right? What's going to be that moment that's going to be that big shaker that we like, when we realize we're one, this is bigger than us, Yerushalayim, Beit HaMikdash, it's all real, it could, it could happen. Why it happened like this, go to your Hit Bodedut session and figure out what, what's really hurting you there. That's not for anyone. And anyone that tells you it happened because of this, my shita is run as far away as possible from the person that has the answers to explain why such a thing could happen. Those are not, that you know in the Gemara when there's no, when there's no resolve, right? When there's no resolve, what's the, what's, what does the Gemara say? Teiko, what does Teiko stand for? That Eliyahu Navi is going to come and he's going to solve it. Eliyahu Navi has a lot more shilas to answer than just Abaye and Rabba's machlokets. You understand? Eliyahu Navi has a, has a world of Teikos. He, he has a world of, it's so funny, when I first made Aliyah, we moved here the first time when I was nine years old, we moved to Ranana. And I knew basic Hebrew because my father is Israeli, but when I started playing soccer with the kids in school, and I knew a little bit of Gemara, we just started then, and then it was so weird because I couldn't understand why, like, if we played soccer, which Bichlal I couldn't understand as an American that loves baseball and basketball, <laughs> but if we played soccer and we're playing for God knows how long, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, and it's the score on a good day, an exciting game is 1-1, one, one, right? <laughs> so they called a tie in Hebrew is called teko. But I knew teko, yeah, teko, everywhere. No, today, kama, kama, teko. I didn't understand why are they bringing Abaya and Rabba to the soccer field in, in Ranana, right? Eliyahu Navi has a lot more to solve than just Abaye and Rabbas and Rav and Shmuel. There's a teiko in the heart saying, okay, Hashem, I don't understand. I don't expect to understand, but one day there's going to have to be answers. Right? Hashem says, yeah, Eliyahu Navi, just keep on talking to me. 
Just keep on talking to me until you see in yourself that what you really want is Kedusha. When you see by other Jewish people, that's all they want. That's, that's really what anyone wants. We don't have time for the last piece. And it's okay because only an Eitz Adas Shir has to basically finish every single source that you prepared. But I want to give us all a bracha to have what Rav Kook calls Ometz Halev. Courageousness of the heart. For this door right now, we don't know exactly what it looks like to have courage of the heart, meaning we don't understand yet its ramifications. But it starts in a different place. It starts with the simple notion that unless I develop an intimate relationship with Hashem, and it starts by me sitting in a room and talking to Hashem, and if you feel uncomfortable doing that, you have to really ask yourself, why am I so comfortable? It's davening shachras, mincha, and marav, and just saying to him. If throughout davening, throughout every bracha, I use the most intimate word in the world, the most intimate word in the world that you could use with someone is you. The second word of every bracha is ata. So if it's so easy for me to say ata all day long, why can't I actually have a, a conversation of ata? And I believe really that is what Rabbi Riskin, what, the more I'm thinking about it, that is what he was telling me that night that he drove me on that Wednesday night. It was in January. I remember it. Lamash, Lamash. I think about this story often, but I thought about it as I drove up this road over here. It's one of the greatest gifts I received from this place, from Or Torah in general. And I just give us all a bracha to bemet have omet salev, because it takes a lot of omet salev to shift into a new paradigms, to realize that what... Thank God we have tradition, but thank God we have the opportunity to create a new flavor of tradition when it comes to the believing Jew of today, for the sake of our children, for the sake of ourselves, and for the sake, really, Leman Shmo Be'ava, for your sake, Ashkadosh Baruch Okay, thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. The Simcha. Yeah, but. We all actually, we have wanted to.